0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Liverpool born Australian jazz saxophonist and composer Ken Stubbs. We talked to him in the fall of 2020 during the worldwide COVID 19 pandemic about quite a bit, like his latest 2019 CD, Big Hush. He became involved with music after being reborn after a near death experience. He was 14. It involved a football special train, hundreds of inebriated Glasgow Ranger fans, a fire hammer, an axe two near fatalities, him jumping from a train traveling at 70 miles an hour and several broken limbs. It was then that he decided that sports weren't it, and he was going to follow himself into the music. It's a great story. It's the beginning, and there's so much more. Enjoy. Thank you for taking some time out. I really appreciate it, and... I want to start off by asking we're in a very especially here in America with all the racial unrest and covid nineteen very peculiar surreal time on the planet. How have you been since this lockdown has happened and what's been going on with you?
1: well um I think we're very lucky actually where we are um, we're on the east coast of Australia in between nearer to Brisbane but north of Sydney and uh, it's it's very rural where we are. So um, when it, I, I'm very near Byron Bay, which is a beautiful resort But uh, we've been in a real bubble actually that I think in the whole of our kind of medical shire uh, since January there have been about 54 cases and No deaths. I, I mean, and that's a huge area. It's like the size of Wales or England, you know, it's a huge area And so, to be honest, uh, apart from the fact that we can't cross the border, uh, which is a slight problem because I teach up at the Brisbane Conservatorium, Uh, I've been doing all of that on Skype and and Zoom. But apart from that, um, it's been life as normal for us. We've just been kind of shocked by seeing what's going on, especially in the States. But also, my my daughter's in London. Um, she's, you know, she's been affected by it, and it definitely seems to be a lot worse there. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, getting back to what you originally said, it's been quite scary to see what's going on in the states, you know, with the COVID and what that's triggered off with other stuff as well. So it's, but you know, we're in a bubble, so we seem a long way away from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like whenever I talk to other Pe- to people in other parts of the world there's, there's more tranquility, there's more unification, there's more of what we ideologically wished would have happened in America back in March, but unfortunately, and I'm, I'm just not going to be filtered with this, we're being run by a madman right now. This guy is running our country into the ground in a way that I never thought was possible.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I've always been quite interested in kind of uh you know psychology and mythology and and it seems as if the tricksters have taken over at the moment you yeah. know and it's uh it's even if you don't get personal about who they are it's quite interesting to see that that's where that's where we're at at the moment the tricksters have, uh you know it's a bit like the the court jesters have taken over yeah and um <laughs> they certainly have and it, and it shows us it shows us uh how precarious the whole thing is and what, what we've got to be careful of but having said that um even though we've been in a bubble you know people have had uh, hardships here as well um whether it's traveling or you know people i've known people who've not been able to get to funerals and all this kind of stuff going on because in fact down in south australia in melbourne it's been pretty hard for them um but you know as well as that there's been i talked to, to somebody yesterday about all the positive stuff that's that's happened even even i don't know whether this is a coincidence that we're on the we're, we're connecting now but for example my family we've we've had more connection with my family in the uk than we've ever had because it's just been a catalyst for everybody to talk and that's one of many positive things that seem to have come from this um and i guess you know it's it's a platitude but but, but the, there's always you know uh, two sides to it
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I think there's a lot of silver linings. I think there's a lot of things that can be construed as positive as well. Um, But, you know, with you and your career, you're you're unbelievably prolific. There's been so much that you've, you've done and seen and produced in your career. How did all this begin for you? How did a kid from Liverpool get into jazz? Now you're in Australia. You're very accomplished. How did all this start?
1: I moved from Liverpool, actually, when I was in my early teens to, to a place north of Liverpool called Blackpool, which is an infamously kind of horrid holiday resort. I've been watching Boardwalk Empire and I was introduced to Atlantic City and it it seems like it was a, a kind of 1970s version of that, except even more full of vice and dodginess. And uh, But yeah, again, there was lots of positive things about that, you know. Um, and it's probably not known in the U.S. about this amazing connection that the north of England had at the time with the um, the northern soul scene in Detroit, and I guess it was around that area. Uh, you know, Motown, I suppose, is the most. Uh, prolific and and, and well-known of those labels, but there was a huge underground of smaller labels going on. There seemed to be literally thousands of artists and for some reason I think it's to do with this kind of, I don't know, some collective unconscious connection between kids in the north of England and the kind of black music scene in the north of America, but there was a huge scene called the Northern Soul music scene in England and at first I thought it was the Northern soul music scene because it was in the North of England, but it, it wasn't really. It was because it was from the Northern states of America. And, uh, so I grew up with that and it was an incredible kind of, uh, enthusiasm, uh, within the, the community of dancing and listening to soul music. And after a few years, I, I started to ask questions about what what what's that noise in the background, and you know people would say, oh that's a that's a horn section and they're trumpets and that's a saxophone, trombone, etc. And I just said one day to my dad who'd mentioned the saxophone, I think he'd secretly always wanted to be a saxophone player, uh, but he was a coal miner, so it made it tricky. He said, uh, yeah that's a sax, and I immediately said, right that's it, I'm. want one Uh, so that was the beginning I think I was about 14 at the time that was the beginning of the uh, the kind of love that I I had and I was really lucky at the time there was a DJ in Blackpool who it was one of those shops where you'd go and hang out on a Saturday morning and he'd play tracks and lots of people would pop in and out and he was predominantly a, a northern soul DJ but I think he he realized with me that uh, I was, I was slightly more interested in the kind of more weird or outside stuff. And he, he, he kind of latched onto me and started putting records my way that he thought I might've liked. And it started off with, you know, like I, I guess jazz fusion stuff like Chick Career and return to forever and weather Report, which I kind of liked at the time, but maybe wasn't ready for. And then one day he, he handed me a Horace Silver album, a Blue Note one. Um, it was one of those ones that was current at the time. It was uh, the late kind of Blue Note era, and it was called Silver and Wood, which I think was from a four set uh, that he did with voices and percussion and all sorts of stuff. And it had uh, people who then became started to become heroes of mine, like Bob Berg and tom harrell and ron carter and i fell in love with this album and really that was it Uh, from that moment i just was in a situation of searching and checking out as much of the history of the jazz music that i could find at the time of course at that time it was all on vinyl so it was a slow process because they were all expensive you know buying one album was like a treat for the for the month say but that was it yeah that's how it started and um I started playing and uh, within a few years after leaving school, I went to Salford College to do a music uh, diploma uh, and then got into the kind of professional music business. And then in my late teens, moved down to London and that's when things kind of started to take off in terms of playing jazz anyway.
0: Now, when you did finally hit the stage, were you nervous? Is it a second home for you? How do you approach the stage?
1: well I, I wouldn't say I, I, I was nervous uh, at first I think I was too kind of you know I had that especially where I was from I had a kind of streetwise cockiness that was probably way over the top um so it wasn't really the ner- it wasn't nerves that that was the predominant feeling that I had when I started playing live it was a huge disappointment actually um from the point of view of a uh, sound, it's always been a real kind of the, ac- the psychoacoustic aspect has always been really a battle for me. Um, I think because the music that I like to play and have really always enjoyed listening to is acoustic as opposed to playing, um, fusion music with electronic instruments. I was always trying to listen. I've always been affected by the timbre and the the overtones, and I spent so much time up against the wall with my saxophone, really trying to to develop a sound. And every time I'd go and do a gig in front of a you know a cheap microphone with a kind of dodgy PA from the nineteen seventies, I'd just feel like, wow, what's happened? It's it's disappeared, and. Uh, So it wasn't exactly nerves, but it was always a, uh, you know, a a tricky situation for me playing live. Uh, And of course, the smaller the venue, pubs and clubs were more tricky than playing concert halls were. you know, that was uh, that was taken care of uh, a lot better, you know.
0: The one thing, too, that that was mentioned in your bio is at 14, you had a near-death experience. (laughs)
1: yeah and uh, it it was semi-tongue-in-cheek but in fact it was real um yeah I, i think i've seen plenty of information on youtube to show that now it's become infamous uh this kind of strange period in british culture where football hooliganism was rampant in the 1970s there's been lots of movies and documentaries about it and in fact i heard last year that in russia before the world cup there were you know there are now gangs in russia who who model themselves on the 70s heroes of football hooliganism and uh that was my encounter with it i went on a train from blackpool to manchester to see glasgow rangers play and during the uh during the trip uh it crossed paths with the glasgow rangers fans and they all got on the train i was only 13 at the time but they were or 14 and they were all they all seemed like mature blokes to me at the time they were probably 18 or 20 and they were very very drunk and uh started some very violent fights to the point where i actually followed followed my friend's lead and jumped off the train which was going at full speed and uh ended up damaging my leg and breaking my arms and things like that and uh (laughs) <laughs> that 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 was what then made me think uh now i'm more interested in staying at home and dancing to this soul music so that in some strange way actually uh took me in the direction that led to me becoming a musician which is kind of kind of weird
0: <laughs> well it's a great story and and yeah and it's one of those things that um I can totally visualize i can't understand because I've never seen that i mean we see levels of you know sports fans can get barbaric and it can get very very intense and and that's scary you know and there's there's enough in that that would make you say hey you know what i don't think i want to get involved with that route in my life but,
1: uh. <laughs> yeah well you know getting back to what you said at the beginning of, of this conversation it's that tribal uh, it brings out that tribal um part of people's psyche and and it's quite bizarre but for me, it was a great experience just to, to you know to to find out about that early on because it put me in good stead for for being careful after that with um, you know being who who I was involved with and, and what kind of situation to to avoid, um, and I always found that uh, the people I was involved with with music, whether it was dancing on a dance floor or being involved with in bands, they they just seemed a lot more relaxed and peaceful and just wanted to get on with playing really and that kind of suited me uh, after what i'd been through and because school was you know school was uh, my i tell my son about what life was like at school during the 1970s and you can't believe it you know he thinks that all of the teachers would now be in prison and he'd probably be right but uh, so yeah it was a relief music was a haven um I, th- I think that's what it was about the connection with the you know the northern american music scene um the kids just seemed to find this this release from the kind of culture and the social stuff that was going on around them and and it it was actually you can actually find videos about the northern soul music scene on on youtube and it's quite interesting to watch i mean it looks silly the way everybody was dressed you know it's one of those kind of uh mad cult kind of uh uh kind of uh things but uh yeah, it was very enthusiastic, and there was a deep love, I think, for the music, and that's, that had a profound effect on me, and, and it's never really gone away. Um, you know, I still feel the same way about music as I, as I did when I started.
0: So, after all these years and all these miles you've traveled to be a musician, what do you like the best about being a musician?
1: I've managed somehow to not have to do a proper job, <laughs> which you know coming from a working class liverpool background just seems incredibly privileged um my dad was a really hard working person and you know like he, he was he started off in as a, mar- a coal miner and ended up with a business but worked incredibly hard that's why we were in blackpool actually he had a cafe uh my grandfather before him was a kind of bland, blind tu- uh, piano tuner and you know so having seen the members of my family and what they did uh it just feels a massive privilege to to do anything that that doesn't entail a kind of really full-time hard job that that takes all of your time away to to been able to i mean you know there's been times especially in london when there were real fallow patches work-wise and i've done the odd job here and there but uh i think it's really mainly that to have to find something that I've been so passionate and involved with for my whole life and managed to have kind of steered away way th- through it. Uh, it just seems like a real privileged existence in a way. So um, that's the main thing. And of course, just the actual process of, of playing music is in itself is, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it's a form of meditation or whether it's a, uh, a connection on some unconscious level that just gives people some kind of positive feeling that's that's what it really has meant to me over the years anyway
0: so when we do return to live music and everybody is just probably about as anxious as they can be to get to that point what do you hope both musician and the audience realizes about this time away from the live music scene
1: yeah well you know maybe this is part of that positive thing i was talking about that as you know i'm i'm pretty sure it's been the same all over the world over the last say 20 or 30 years that the way there's just been been this decline in in the amount of venues that are around and people seem more hesitant to go out and they seem to almost be resentful about paying for music whether it's recorded or or live seems to be this whole sway and i think that's also been connected to the the culture of media and the technology uh, which again is a double double-edged sword you know but I think uh, I think it's take it's going to take something like what's happened over the last since the beginning of 2020 for people to to realize what they've missed in a way um, and to realize that um, being in a community situation listening to music is one of those really important you know kind of ancient rituals that we do that we need in our lives and and not just you know there's many of those things but one of those things i think is 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 to do with music or dance or whatever it may be uh in, in its involvement with music so um i'm hoping that people will start to appreciate music and realize that it's uh, I th- I, again already people have, have, have talked to me about that um during this period that they've they've said oh wow i've had so much time i've been listening to all of this music that i never used to listen to or musicians saying they've done more practice or more composing than they've ever done before so i'm hoping that it's those kind of uh uh results that will come from this as a catalyst kind of
0: I appreciate the music that you sent over. And I got a question, you know, there's a vibe, there's a feeling that you have in your music. And I want to know, especially with your latest CD, Big Hush, what do you want the listener to get from the experience of buying your music, downloading it, getting a CD and going through the experience? What do you want them to feel from that?
1: Well, I'd, I'd, I'd really like them to feel what I feel when I'm doing it in a way that it's an unconscious, you know, that it's coming through, it comes through musicians that they're a vessel for this, for feelings to come through, through the music, you know? And uh, the, the music I'm particularly involved in now is, it's quite, without getting too technical, I'm sure a lot of people will understand this, but it's very harmonically rich. And for me, the vehicle, the emotional aspect of, of music travels through is really the harmony. In, in, at least that's the way I hear it, and I think historically, uh, that's the way uh, composers seem to seem to treat harmony as a as a vehicle for that for that feeling uh, aspect of music. And so, you may have noticed on on those recordings that there's a there is a spectrum of different feels and grooves and sounds and harmony but really the, the, the common uh the, the thing that binds them all together is is really quite quite a, a deep and probably what people might say is quite a dark kind of um, atmosphere that's being um, uh, c- uh, communicated um, and that's exactly what I'm after and I'm, I'm aware that some people may find that challenging because you know, not everybody wants to take on that uh, That side of themselves or that side of you know, the psyche, but uh, that's where I'm coming from uh, from a kind of I, I suppose the best way for me to describe it would would be my ex my own experience of hearing that through other musicians was really when I first heard John Coltrane, and it wasn't really the early stuff that he did with Miles and uh, the bebop embedded, if you like, music. It was really when he started playing in the in what I would consider his golden era, which was with the quartet with Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner and Jimmy Garrison, and and. What i heard in that for that was was uncanny it was the first time in my life that i'd ever been moved by anything uh abstract like that where it just had such a profound deep uh effect on the way i felt and and i've always been chasing that in a way trying to convey that same thing um that that those musicians manage to, uh, to put it, for me, that's, that's the pinnacle of that essence of whatever it is I'm talking about.
0: So speaking of the essence, everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you're the one that's living your life. Who do you think you are?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite profound. Who do I think I am? Well, to start off with, I'm feeling better about who I am the older I get, so uh, I'm quite happy about that. Because uh, <laughs> you know, from all the for all the reasons I mentioned early on in life, it, life seemed harder earlier. And you know, I'm I'm on the phone to my daughter in in London regularly. She's twenty and nearly twenty one, and. I can see her now living the 20-something life in London and thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not there. I mean, it's so <laughs> exciting for her and there's all of this madness going on, but I think, uh, yeah, okay, nice, but I'm really glad not to be involved with that. Um, and so having moved to Australia and we actually came here on holiday and came up to the, desert. where we live, is it's actually subtropical rainforest. And uh, that was a it was it was almost as profound as the Coltrane experience when I experienced the beauty of the nature where we live to go to a rainforest for me was like spellbinding magic it was just wow what is this feeling it was like falling in love it really was and that except that I've not never fallen out of love with it over the last 20 years Um, and so that is one of the major strands of who I am I'd say I, I'm a person that needs to live in nature and um, and be a musician and and the other thing and now having waited a long time i didn't have I didn't get married or have a family till I was almost forty and so again that's that's the other major strand now i'm I'm realizing what a great thing that is for me anyway. Uh, so yeah, I guess I've found, found some major, major strands of who I am. So that's, that's who I am. a musician in a family in a beautiful place in Australia.
0: Beautiful. Ken, Hey, thanks again for reaching out. Thanks for the music. Stay safe out there. And we look forward to seeing all you guys whenever this gets back.
1: Great, man. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me and, and good luck with it all. And, uh, I'd love to see Kansas sometime.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in England, Australia, America, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ken for his time, story, and music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: on jazz